Hey, what's up, guys? This is Brad. This is Miles. And welcome to the house. Miles, we are back again with big news. Big things happened this week. An exciting announcement is on the way. Yep. Uh, you guys will have to wait till the end of the episode to hear what we have to talk about. But... As promised, we're going to continue on our Read My Reviews section. Um, we're going to read two reviews. The first one is a five-star rating from All Day Hallway. Uh, five-star said, Sports Passion. These guys know sports. Great listen for any avid sports fan and better, or someone who knows very little about either. Highly recommended. What I like about that, it was it was twofold. Yeah. You know, because we're, we're really reaching two audiences here. We, you know, we're... Talking to those betters out there and yeah. anyone who just wants to learn a little bit about sports. I can imagine like how many people have learned just from us, like people who've never bet before or never really analyzed sports and they've gained some knowledge just from listening to us. It's pretty sure. cool. So let's do the second one is from BHP1404. Five-star review said, a great listen. These got, these are great laid-back conversations between two people who just love football and love betting on sports. He's right. I love betting on sports. It's true. I've been on sports all the time. Yeah. They say that's all I talk about is betting on sports. You guys think I talk about it in this episode, this podcast? Nope. You should hear them during the day. (laughs) So, guys, if you guys want to have your name read, your review read, go on iTunes, go on Stitcher, go on SoundCloud, write us a review. You can even do it on our website, and we will read the review that you write. All right. And now uh, moving on over uh, to our newest segment. This is turning into my favorite. We got some pretty good question submissions for our mailbag today. Uh, but we are going to go ahead and read a question from Eric. And he asks, what does Cleveland need to do to turn it around and end up back in the ship? We're talking about LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, what I thought was interesting, Brad, is that we received that email on Monday. Yep. And then all hell broke loose on Thursday. The best general manager in the league, LeBron James. Hands down. He picked the team that he wanted. He did not get DeAndre Jordan, but he got some great pieces. So, Eric, thank you for the question, first of all. And secondly, I think that this is enough. These moves they've made, we'll go over them, is enough for them to get back to the championship. I think that they definitely, there's no doubt they got better, at least for the short term. Yep. I want to talk about long term a little bit and kind of see what they're thinking with the plan. But as far as, hey, this may be our last year with LeBron James, it's very possible. Yeah. Let's make the team younger. Let's make them faster. Let's get some more scoring. They really improved on all sides of the ball. Yes, they did, definitely. And the biggest – people are going to hate me for saying this, but the biggest addition was an actually, was actually a subtraction, getting rid of Isaiah Thomas. That was huge to me because Isaiah Thomas is an, a defensive liability. I know last year he finished second in scoring, but I watched them – I watched uh, the Celtics versus the Washington Wizards, and the pick-and-roll defense was atrocious. They ate them alive just because every play was pick-and-roll, pick-and-roll, pick-and-roll. And when you have good teams, they are going to pry on the weakness. And I, I agree with you there. It was it was definitely the right move. But for me, even more so uh, of a sign that they needed to get rid of him was when he called out Tyron Lue in, like, his, what, 12th start? Yeah. Saying that he wasn't making adjustments? Well, I do give – I'm going to go ahead and say this. Isaiah Thomas is a veteran. He's been in the league long enough. And I wouldn't call him a veteran. He's definitely a veteran. Isaiah Thomas has been in the league for almost five, five or six years. Yeah, but I... thats He's a veteran. I don't think that gives him the right to call out he was, his brand new coach. He, but he was still a leader of his last team. He's a veteran in the league. I don't... I don't... Not saying that I wasn't justifying it, but if they weren't making adjustments, he's just speaking the truth. And 
you know, one thing that they did do, they left, they let all the egos go, and they let all the bat, all the baggage go. Yeah. They, and poor D Wade, he was baggage. He, his role got reduced, and you know, they gave it the old college try. Him and LeBron gave the college try, but now he's back in Miami, and they got it with what twenty twenty four uh, heavily protected pick. So which means I think it's got to be in like the top half of the second round. Yeah, they they definitely did some uh, pick swaps because they traded two future draft picks, but then they also, as you said, they still have that protected second round pick. It's not like they, you know, everyone says that they cleaned house, and in a way they did, but it was almost like instead of cleaning house, they just did like a flip. Yeah, they what they did, they they swept everything that they didn't need and put in the garbage, and then they brought in new furniture. So they didn't clean the house; they just replaced a couple pieces of furniture that already went along with. The main staples, they like went with the couch, the television, the TV stand. They kept that. They added in some lamps and some fixtures. Sure. That don't have egos. That don't have egos. Um, I really like what they did here. Um, do you, I'm, do you just want to go over uh, each of their acquisitions? Yeah. I'll go ahead. I'll go. So first, let me tell you about the players that are left. Um, Kevin Love, I'm su- surprised they didn't trade him, but they probably couldn't get good value since he's hurt. Tristan Thompson, LeBron James. J.R. Smith. I'm not going to go over anybody that no one knows. So we'll go Jose Calderon, Jeff Green, Kyle Korver. All the other guys are either not on the team in the D-League. Don't matter. Now, the players they got rid of, beautiful. Um, and I'm going to start with the most important player they got rid of because he was impo- he's going to be in the biggest impact on the team he's going to, and that's going to be Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder didn't doesn't fit in the LeBron system. He doesn't fit in a LeBron, you do something, and then the p- puzzle pieces fall. Jay Crowder needs plays to be run, and he's a great defensive player, but it just, it just didn't work out. Um, so the, Jay Crowder is going to Utah. Derrick Rose going to Utah, which will help Derrick Rose if he doesn't get ba- he doesn't get bought out. Utah is just another stop for him, and he needs to play point guard. He doesn't need to be LeBron's yeah, and, sidekick. and injuries early on just kind of kept him from acclimating yeah. it into any part of the offense. Yeah, definitely. And um, getting rid of Channing Fry. Channing Fry posted a funny video on Instagram where he said, he goes, you know, it's the NBA, life moves on. And he goes, but don't go 0 for 5 on Christmas Day or they'll cut your ass. Yeah. <laughs> Channing Fry, for uh, for me, I'll just say he, he was the one player I was sad to see leave Cleveland. Yeah, but Channing Fry has been a journeyman. So, he, you know, he, he took it in stride. Um, Isaiah Thomas is gone. Isaiah Thomas, that relationship was never going to work from the start. Um, Isaiah Thomas needs to go. He's a volume scorer who needs the ball in his hands. And when you have LeBron, you, that just doesn't match. To be fair, though, when that trade broke originally, no one, like, I mean, there there was some skeptics out there, but they made the trade because they thought it would work. You want to hear something funny? And I'm so glad that when the trade broke, I was with people that you know. I was out bowling with the old PCS team, and when the trade broke, all the Boston fans are like, no, why? We don't want this. And I go, this is the best thing that ever happened to you. I go, Isaiah Thomas is a defensive liability and you will see how bad it makes the Cavs. I told everyone there and all the Boston fans are like, you're crazy, Brad. Isaiah Thomas was second in scoring. I go, you will see how bad it's going to make them. The Celtics are number one in defense in the East now. I will also say though that Isaiah Thomas was injured for pretty much this entire year. So yeah, I'm not saying that what you're saying is wrong because like I, I completely agree, but it was such a small sample size. Okay, Isaiah Thomas played in a total of 12 games. In those 12 games, he has the absolute worst plus minus out of any player in the entire league. That hurts. Yes, talk about liability. Um, them getting away, getting rid of Shumpert. They had to get rid of Shumpert. Uh, getting rid of Wade, you know, didn't work out. He's his role was reduced, and you know he wants to play. And they got rid of their 2018 first-round pick. So, who cares? 
they kept the players they needed, like J.R. Smith. I think that was a great, great keeping him. Jeff Green's going to be a great role player. Tristan Thompson is still Tristan Thompson is going to be a starter. Um, now, the players coming in, I'm really excited about. I want to go ahead with the first player coming in that no one's going to realize this impact that this player is going to make until the playoffs come. Larry Nance Jr., hands down the best defender at the point guard position in the NBA. Now, when they go up, let's say they uh, end up being the three seed and they have to go up against the, the Detroit Pistons, I'm not afraid for them anymore because they'll just put Larry Nance on Blake Griffin. So you think that, that they improved with their size and their defense there? Yes, big time. He's a great defensive player. Um, he's bigger than uh, Jay Crowder, and I think he moves his feet a little bit better. He also brings a little bit of scoring, and uh, he's uh, good on the boards. He proved that he can score when it when uh, when it comes down to it. I really like them adding uh, – I'm going to stay away from the obvious picks first. I really like them adding Jordan Clarkson as well because he's a volume scorer, but he also is lengthy, and he can cover tougher guards, so he'll be a good addition to the second unit. So Clarkson, yeah, he so he was the sixth man off the bench. He scored a lot of points, 14.5 a game, yeah, 45% shooting. I was shocked by his stats. Yeah, the dude's 6'5". And also, when you said uh, come playoff time, I thought you were you were going to talk about Clarkson because I'm thinking that the bench depth is going to be this, they these guys got improved. deep. Yeah, they got right. deep. That's going to help them in a seven game series. Yep. And uh, what I want to see here is how Rodney Hood and Jar Smith uh, blend together. Wh- whoever starts, I think they're projecting that Jar Smith's going to be the starter. Whoever starts, both these guys are averaging six and seven free throws, um, excuse me, three-pointers a game, both shooting over 37%, which is a huge, huge addition. Yeah, and you would think uh, at shooting guard, they're going to be interchangeable, and you would think that they're going to be able to keep each other fresh. Yeah, it's going to be a great a great match, a great matchup. He's right averaging there. a career high, 16.8 points per game right now. Yes, uh, that's going to go down a little, unfortunately, but it's for the best. And so, um, the last but not least, this is what they really needed. They needed defense. They needed a good defending point guard who can shoot the ball. Although George Hill is shooting a lower percentage this year, and he's taking a he took a lot less shots, he could still fill the fill the bucket up. But that's not what they needed. They needed someone to play defense out there, and they got their starting point guard. So, so how is he going to work on the floor? So, I mean, because because I'm thinking he's going to start. Yeah, he's definitely going to start. It's going to. I'm thinking. It's but gonna be, are, are are they going to have him on the floor just for his defense and for his game calling? I mean, it, it's going to be kind of like, um, man, I'm bringing this back. But Mario Chalmers uh, with LeBron, uh, where Mario Chalmers is going to be George Hill. Uh, he can handle the ball and he can score when necessary. But the the main play, the main the the majority of the plays are going to run through LeBron. And uh, so what I'm projecting, what I was reading was. Uh, point guard George Hill, shooting guard Jared Smith, small forward LeBron, power forward is a they're they're leaving it at Pickham right now. Um, it's either gonna be Jeff Green or Larry Nance. My opinion, I like Larry Nance to start and Jeff Green coming off the bench because Jeff Green has been a great bench player for a lot of teams. And then Tristan Thompson at the center. When Kevin Love comes back in, they'll probably bump Love back to center, although he doesn't want to play it. But I mean, you gotta have you gotta have Love out there. I would keep Tristan Thompson at center and I would put Kevin Love at small forward. And then move back LeBron to power forward. I don't like that. Um, only because Love is not the best defender, and he's going to get caught flat-footed against a lot of small forwards in the league. And then, where does Thompson go then? On the bench. Okay. You run a you run a lineup with. Uh, I mean, I, I think this lineup's pretty scary here. You got George Hill, J.R. Smith, LeBron James, uh, Greener Nance, and then Kevin Love. That's a lot of points. So you so you said earlier today. Uh, 
that this makes them the best team in the East? Yeah, I think? think so. I think just they were a close second with the problems, you know? Um, don't get me wrong. I know um, the the Raptors are playing lights out, but you know how they go. They're not going to make it to the finals. So it was between them and the Celtics. And the Celtics have problems of their own. But if the Celtics get Gordon Hayward back, we might be talking about a little different, but I still think this this makes them big. And why I say that is because one thing they were lacking was depth. They were lacking shooting depth. They had depth, but they didn't have players who could shoot. Now they have, I mean, even if you just look at uh, Kyle Korver still on the bench, they got Kyle Korver they can throw into rotation with LeBron to keep LeBron fresh. Uh, like what, five out, five out, four out of the five starters are shooters? Not bad. So let me ask you this kind of switching gears here for a second as far as the future. The Lakers are going to have $46.9 million in cap room this summer. Yes. Are they going to go after LeBron and Paul George? Okay, so I think the Lakers, even if I listened to the um, the press conference from uh, Magic Johnson, and he kind of hinted at it too, that this might not be their shopping year, that they might have to wait to 2019 because there's going to be a lot more players in 2019. And LeBron might not come if it's just him. And Paul George sounds like he's in honeymoon phase with, the, uh, with OKC. They got something special there too. Is this also enough to keep LeBron in Cleveland? That's the question I keep asking myself and everyone uh, for me back home. All the Cavs fans, I mean, everyone likes the trades, but is it enough to keep him around? You know, because it, it comes back to his relationship with Gilbert. It's just, it just doesn't seem to be there. No, it's not enough to keep them. But you know what also is sweet? Okay, so LeBron leaves, right? That leaves him with George Hill, Jordan Clarkson, Jared Smith, Rodney Hood, Jeff Green, Larry Nance, Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson, and Brooklyn's number one pick. That's a solid foundation for a playoff team. Yeah, it's a pretty good foundation, but I mean, they'll they'll be nowhere near what as talented. They were. No, no, but I'm saying this trade set them up for the future as well. Okay, because I I don't think they were going to pay it a, a max contract, and the Lakers they could go after them. I think they're what they're going to end up doing is signing a borderline guy. Um, they're going to stretch out um, Luol Deng's contract to move it over a span of 11 years, which will make them bring them like 60, 60 million in cap space. Um, so that means they can sign a borderline guy like uh, DeMarcus Cousins. Um, so he'll, his contract will be a little bit less, and then they'll be able to sign two bigger guys in 2018, 2019. Well, good luck to the Cavs. Uh, I'm a huge LeBron fan, so I hope this works out for him at least this year. Uh, and I hope it makes them more competitive, and I hope they're ready to face the likes of either a Houston or a Golden State. I mean, they, they look completely unstoppable. Um, so. My money's on Houston to win it all. Yeah. Houston is scary. In the, in the way – I know this is not what we're talking about, but the way that Chris Paul has changed his game to fit into that system, remarkable. It's been impressive, man. It's it's like Harden's been looking for this partner his entire career, yeah. and he finally found him. Yeah, it's it's a great match, man, Heaven. Uh, so I, I have them winning it all. All right, well, I'm sure that uh, we'll have plenty of, of NBA talk this season. It's definitely going to heat up, especially uh, with these big moves. Let's go ahead and uh, let's talk about football again. Yes. Back to our favorite sport. I wanted to bring up our betting in the playoffs. How do you feel? Uh, you know, for because I think this is a good question. I think that betting in the regular season and playoff betting, for me, there was a lot of differences. Yeah, there was a lot of differences, but also when I was... Okay, so I'll just go ahead and put this out there. My record was 3-8 and eight in these playoffs, and I'm going to be honest with you guys. A lot of these games, I did not take. Just because in the playoffs, there's a lot of parity. It's harder to to tell who's going to upset the other team, who's going to cover. And the regular season's way easier because the good teams are good, the bad teams are bad. 
Right, and in the playoffs, when everyone is full throttle, 150%, yeah. no doubt, everyone's playing their best players, it's just hard to tell, you know, who's going to show up, right? Okay, so let's let's have a couple examples. You know where it was easy? Patriots-Titans. Yeah. Easy cover. You and I predicted the score, even. Like, yeah. you know, almost, almost exactly. But then how about Falcons-Eagles? How could anybody have predicted that the Eagles were going to come out and not only win that game, yeah. but win, win the, the Super Bowl? Bowl. We did not give enough respect to the Eagles all year because we didn't know if they were playing bad opponents. But then when they put against good opponents, they were great. They were really, really great. Uh, my playoff record, 5-6. and six. Which is respectable. Respectable. Uh, not as good as our bowl records. I will just say that. Yeah, so if you guys want some college football advice, uh, call us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know what? It was a lot of fun. I thought it was a great, uh, great series of games. The one for me that stands out is Patriots-Jaguars. That was yeah. my favorite game in the playoffs. That was a great one. Uh, Pats didn't cover in that one either. Nope. Um, and speaking of the Patriots, we did play a little game on Sunday called the Super Bowl. Yes. And it was a good one. My favorite so far. Of all time. I mean, that I've been alive for. Okay. I, I You know, honestly, I actually hadn't really thought about my favorite Super Bowl. Um, It's got to be up there. It's definitely close to the top. I mean, even like the Patriots comebacks or um, the Malcolm Butler interception, those weren't really my favorite. Yeah, really anyone with the – I mean, as a kid, I, I really remember the Patriots-Rams. That was one of my first, like, okay. back in the day. But uh, See, my thing is I can't really do things from when I was younger because I didn't appreciate the sport as much as I do now. There's, there's things that I just didn't even realize I would like, you know? Some of these plays <laughs> – okay – can I can I ask your opinion on trick plays? Yeah, you want to know what I think about them? Yeah, I think they're brilliant. I I love trick plays because if they're implemented correctly, it honestly tricks the defense so much. And without them, it's it's like it's like you have a really easy coloring book where anytime you color out of the lines is a mistake, but it's really easy to not color out of the lines. That's normal football, right? Now you have this blank canvas, and anytime you make something look beautiful, it's a touchdown. Anytime it looks ugly, it's an interception. Now you have this beautiful canvas with lines on it. You're allowed to go outside the lines. You're allowed to draw in the lines. Outside the lines, you get more points. Those are trick plays. Those are things that you're not supposed to do, the restricted area. Now inside the line, you can make a beautiful painting, but all it is going to be is a painting in the foreground with no background. It looks more beautiful when you're in the restricted areas. When you are painting in the background, you're filling it in this entire painting. But, but what you're saying there is that trick play should be a part of anybody's game plan, which is not the case. It was only the case because they had two weeks to prepare. And I, I wait. I, I just think trick plays are hokey. I, I no. I, every having a quarterback pretend okay. like he's not even in the play and then have him just run out. I, I'm gonna, I don't even know how that's supposed to be legal. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say this because I played football. Every week at practice, we practiced trick plays. We probably only ran like, I don't know, four trick plays a season. But every week, you better believe we would practice our trick plays. So we were ready when the time is right, when the, when the defensive coordinator, the offensive coordinator get together and they say, you noticing that guy over there, he's playing lazy on the right-hand side? Every time we've, we've, we've run a RPO, a run pass option, he's bit, he's bit, he's bit. We do play action, he's bit, he's bit. Let's throw something at him that he's not going to see. I'm going to run this jet sweep fake where the quarterback ends up handing it, the quarterback runs out, they pitch to the quarterback and throw a touchdown. 
because he's been on every single RPO. Sure, no, I, the 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 logic is is there. Like I understand what you're saying. I just don't I just don't like those routes from the quarterback, and I didn't like these plays, and I, especially because we had uh one of those plays from both teams, which which I just thought was it, there's no it was literally the same. They ran the same trick play. There's there's no creativity there. The only difference was Tom Brady didn't know how to catch a pass, and Nick Foles did, and Nick Foles also called that play himself. And well. They were also illegally formed because the top receiver was not on the line. Neither was the bottom receiver. And they was it called? Have, nope. They no. didn't have enough men on, on 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 line of scrimmage. And I called that at the party outside. I go, that's an illegal formation, and they didn't call it. But, Miles, w- w- what you're not getting here is who cares they ran the same play? One was executed and one was not. So you're saying you don't think it's great when someone runs halfback slam on, on the right tackle – and then the other team runs the exact same play because that's what happens every time in a football game. Right. No, I understand, but but there's it's well, different with trick plays because aren't it, like what, what you're saying. You you say you practice trick plays every single week. Shouldn't you be coming up with something different than just the quarterback pretending like he's not in the play and then he's wide open in the end well, zone for a pass? Well, that play was actually a pretty typical trick play. The wildcat I've, trick play. I've never. I've never seen that. That's a that's a pretty uh, typical one. That's what most most teams when they run their wildcat, the co- the, the quarterback does that. I'll tell you, I've never seen thing. that in the NFL. I've I've never seen an, an NFL team run a play like that. I've ne- I've never seen a, a quarterback catch a pass like that in especially in a in a big game like that. I thought it was brilliant by both teams running it because both teams could have executed, should have executed that Tom Brady catch. First of all, let's go. I'm gonna go call him, call go ahead and call a spade a spade. Tom Brady, you compare his athleticism to Nick Foles. Tom Brady's not as athletic, so yeah. I would have not ran that through Tom Brady. There were other options on that play they could have ran it through. But with that being said, I love trick plays if they work. Now, when you have a trick play and you have a wide, rec- uh, wide receiver throwing the ball into double coverage, that's when I think they're hokey. Okay, so so you're saying you don't like them when they don't work? No, I'm saying I don't like them when they put your team in danger of doing something terrible. All trick plays would put your team in danger of doing something terrible. Not necessarily. What if the quarterback was covered and then uh, Danny Amendola did, didn't know what to do, so he threw it anyway? And that's, Bra- Brady's in no. That's when I don't like it. But if you have, if it's executed properly, but it's properly, the same play. Exactly. It's it's all about execution. If you, it's executed properly, because both those both those teams ran that play correctly and the quarterback was wide open. But that's like saying that you like a coach that goes for two. And then if it doesn't work, you say you don't like him going for two. It's no, the same thing. it's not. It's it's like saying, I like a coach who goes for two and calls a good play, not something dumb, and it gives them limited options. That's to so succeed. subjective, though. I'm saying— I'm oh, allowed to be subjective yeah, because, right, right, because but I, I'm the fan. But I I know that. But, I, but I'm saying—this is the point I'm trying to make, Brad. From, from an objective point of view, it doesn't matter if it's a good two-point conversion or a bad two-point conversion. It's if you like him going for two, then you should like him going for two all the time, not just when it doesn't work. Or well, it's a bad play. I think I, I think I understand what you're saying, and you might have misinterpreted me because I'm gonna put these in terms of I like them going for two, which means I like it every time. No, I don't like it like that. But I do like the sprinkled in going for two every every now and then, just like I like the trick play sprinkled in every now and then. Does that make more sense? Yeah, it does. But even trickled in, if it's a bad two point play call, then you're gonna say you that you didn't like the play. Yeah, yeah, but that doesn't mean I didn't like his guts for going for the two point conversion. I didn't okay. like the play itself. Okay, so, so so you're saying that you like the guts of the trick play, but so, but sometimes you don't like the trick play call itself. Yes, sometimes the trick play, so, sometimes the trick plays that are called are too overzealous. Like there should be no way if they're playing a cover two or Tampa two, whatever you want to call it, and you run a trick play that your guy should be throwing the ball downfield. If that should be something that they talk about in practice. Hey, Danny, if they're running Tampa two, don't throw the ball downfield because that means there's 
two two safeties in the back, and you have to throw a perfect strike, and you're not an NFL quarterback. Okay. We'll disagree to disagree on this one, but okay. uh, but I but that's why I asked. Yeah, that's why I wanted your opinion because I talked to my roommate about that during the Super Bowl. He also thought I was crazy. Um, so I'm just curious if anybody else had, had okay, the same sentiment. Okay, so as what I do did. you think about play action passes? I love play action passes. Do you know play action pass was the first trick play? Okay, now we're getting way technical. That's, I'm just being I'm just being truth because before they never. That's like saying the apple was like the first fruit, and and for and, oh. and for and, and no that, no. It, no, that's like saying that's like saying the dunk has evolved in the NBA because dunking wasn't allowed. You weren't allowed to fake a run. Right, but then, but then what you're I'm saying, saying is just, that we're going to be seeing these trick plays like more often now. No, like, I'm just saying that's the original trick play. That's all I'm saying. That's there's nothing behind my statement, but that's it is. fine. Um, okay. I just want to see your yeah, thoughts. Well, on it. yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing behind my statement either. Uh, but a play action pass to me is just. Brilliant. It's, it's not hokey. It's it, it's it's not a quarterback going out for a pass and then dropping it and now he's being mocked. It just there's there's just I'm just saying there's something about that that just bothers me. Okay, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, that's fair to say. It's fair to say. Uh, but let's go ahead and uh, well let's let's talk more about the game before because uh, I I did want to review a, li- a little bit of our prop bets um, that were a lot of fun. But what 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 were your thoughts on how well the Eagles played and was it the coaching is it the system i mean we're talking about nick Foles having the game of his life yet he's the backup quarterback so are we saying that wentz would have played exactly the same or is this a system okay there's a lot of things that come into play here number one patriots defense was awful the um and both teams defenses were pretty awful there was only what i think one punt in the entire game yeah. there was only one sack in the entire game which happened to be a strip sack but I think you put almost any quarterback in that situation right there, and they're going to succeed because the Patriots didn't do anything. They didn't do anything special on defense. I didn't see many stunts. Um, they were too busy disciplining disciplining one of their players. I mean, it's the Super Bowl. You discipline Malcolm Butler after the Super Bowl. Yeah, that seemed like a really petty power move to me. Yes, and that, in my opinion, that cost him the game because – it's not like Tom Brady didn't go go out there and throw for 503 yards or something. He, Tom Brady put the team on his back, and he said it, it, it. It's the truth. That defense made one play. That was the difference in the game. And you know what that tells me? Either Matt Patricia had his foot out the door and he was not focused, or they really needed Malcolm Butler that bad. It easily could have been either because that Patriots defense looked completely unprepared. I mean, honestly, it, it's like you said, there was no defense in this game. Yeah. Both defenses looked completely unprepared. Not sure what that was all about, and anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I love a defensive football game. It's just, and then that with the trick plays, and listen, I'm, I'm just saying that overall, this is probably what I'm getting at. I just don't have the same opinion of, of this game as other people do. Yeah, I thought it was a great game. And you're different. We and you, we, we were different. I love scoring. You love yeah, defense. Yeah, it's fine. I, I, I just thought the whole thing was overblown. I, I just thought it... The craziest thing to me here was the uh, Eagles had 10 possessions. They scored on eight of them. That's impressive. And, and Nick Foles could not miss. And LeGarrette Blunt could not miss. That man was running hard. That man was running hard. I mean, the Patriots averaged 124 yards rushing per game. And they showed them. The Eagles are one of the top rushing teams in the nation. They, we, every See, like the more I analyze this game, we should have thought harder on the spread. And it's, it's not like for our lack of studying, because 
we study sports, we study the games before we pick, and I don't know what how we were blind to it. Like, what did we miss? Just the sheer fact that it's Tom Brady. But honestly, Tom Brady had a chance to come back in that game, and then we, this, we would never have having this conversation. Right. But, you know, at the same time, yes, that's sports, and I'm glad that we made this transition because you and I did both take the Patriots. Yeah. Minus four and a half, confidently. Not to mention that we took them against the Jacks as well, and they didn't cover there either. Yeah. I don't think it was anything we overlooked. I just think that the Eagles played that good of a game. I think both teams played that good of a game. Yeah, they both played lights out, and it just happened that the defense for the Eagles made the one play, one play. they needed, the that, strip sack. That was the one play. It's like in like a crazy college football game when the announcers say something like, well, you know, at this point – it's the last team to have the ball is going to win the game. Yeah. You know, it, like, it, that's kind of how it felt. Yeah. That whoever made the one play that was needed, and that was the big one. Yeah. And that's what we missed. So that was a loss for both of us. Don't like to end the season like that. Uh, but you know what? It is what it is. You know, um, during this game, I, I put some serious props down. Um, and let me just tell you, I nailed them. I got Gronk scoring a touchdown. Uh, Gronk getting five receptions or more. Zach Ertz getting five receptions or more. Alshon Jeffries getting 40, 69 yards or more. Nelson, Nelson Aguilar getting um, was Nelson Aguilar four receptions or more. Um, I also hit the Corey Clement three and a half receptions. Um, the Deion Lewis one, which was the Deion Lewis one? I missed Deion Lewis. Uh, he needed to get 20 more yards for me. Thanks, Deion Lewis. And I missed Deion Lewis' touchdown. But other than that, I smoked it. You had a busy night. I just bet on the over. I didn't bet the game because I didn't I didn't want the Patriots to lose and I lose money and not enjoy the game in the right way. Yeah. I can understand that. Well, uh, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about a couple of our props that we did last week. Uh, Super Bowl MVP. Nick Foles is your winner. Uh, his odds were set at plus 325, and that was a win for you. Uh, Foles was your third pick. Uh, you had Dion Lewis, uh, Laguerre Blunt, which was another close, game, yeah, and Nick Foles. Uh, mine were way off. I had Danny, uh, Danny Amendola, I had Zach Ertz, and then my flyer was Malcolm Jenkins. Well, in your defense, Danny Amendola had like 129, 130 yards. Yeah, no, I mean, he, he was there, should have had a, a completion too. Yeah. Um, but Nick Foles was your winner there, so good for him. I wanted to give you props for the color of Bill Belichick's shirt at kickoff. Blue was set at minus 150, and you called blue. Yeah, I called blue just because Bill's a superstitious guy, and he was going to wear what he wanted in the Super Bowls. Yep. Here's a prop bet that uh, you and I agreed on, and we were very right on. Uh, Donald Trump's tweets that were set uh, at over under five. Uh, it was under five, yeah. easily. Uh, he didn't bet during the game. He bet once after the game, once before the game. Yeah. So that was an easy win for both of us. That was a cool one. Will Nick Foles have a higher quarterback rating than Tom Brady? This one was complicated because Foles got the MVP, the Eagles got the win, but Brady still had a higher quarterback rating. Yeah. If Foles does not throw that interception, uh, Foles has a higher QBR. Brady was 115.4. Foles was 106.1. You took Foles, which was a great call because he was the MVP. Uh, I took Brady in that one, and that was that was closer than I thought it would be, obviously, because I was all about Tom Brady. 
Uh, what color will the liquid be that is poured on the game-winning coach? I will tell you, I, this was one of the most excited moments of the night for me when I saw the lime green yellow Gatorade get poured on uh, Doug Peterson. I screamed a little bit. You like, yes, oh. I knew it! You know what's funny? Um, the Patriots were not pouring lime green Gatorade, and I, I was didn't know this until, like, right before game time, that, like, if anybody was, like, wearing green all week, they'd, like, give them shit. So, like, they they definitely not have lime green Gatorade. Who will record the most rushing yards in the game? We both took Deion Lewis, but you were the one that said, watch out for LeGarrette Blount. He was at plus 500. So, if you bet on LeGarrette Blount to have the most rushing yards in the game, congratulations. Oh, that's what I, that's the other prop bet I was missing. LeGarrette Blount's more than 29 and a half yards. That was easy. <laughs> he got in one play. Very well done. Yeah, yeah, he had that one big play, and uh, he ended up having a better game than Ajayi, So Yeah, and, and you know, it is what it is. Um, prop bets are what they are. You don't go, like, honestly, if you guys, if you're out there betting, don't go and just take every prop bet like a maniac. Think logically. I, I know I made a, a flyer out there that was the dumbest prop I ever took, and I didn't know it was dumb until halftime. I bet that they would show uh, Tom's ready wife more than one and a half times. And you know what? They didn't show her till damn third quarter. Yeah. I was stressing over if they're going to show the man's wife on TV. <laughs> Focus on the game next Yeah, time, yeah, it know? is what it Focus is. On it, but it is what it yeah, is. Yeah, those, uh, those prop bets were a lot of fun. Glad we did it. We are about to make our world debut. In college basketball. So if you guys don't know, college basketball spreads don't normally come out till the night before or the day of. So we are going to analyze all college basketball scores by picking a winner and maybe what point threshold you should select if the line is set. Exactly. So, we each picked a game this week. Let's go ahead and start with yours. Um, we started, I picked Tennessee at Alabama. This is huge implications for both teams. Alabama is fighting for their lives to get in the tournament. If Tennessee wins their next two games, I have Tennessee a borderline number one seed. Hold on. A, a number one seed? Look at their tournament resume. They've only lost five games. The number one seeds, there's going to be two number one seeds who are only going to lose two games, right? Let's say Tennessee wins out. They win the SEC, that, which means they have to beat Auburn. I think their next game is versus Auburn, which is they have to beat Auburn. They beat Tennessee. Uh, I mean, they beat Kentucky. They beat Purdue, who's going to be a potentially a number one seed. Beat Kentucky in Kentucky. They only have one bad loss on their on their entire resume and that's at arkansas because their loss to missouri it was at mizzou i think that they would have to win out completely they would have to win the rest of the games they would have to win the sec tournament let's say they're a six loss team i still wouldn't put them as number one seed number two because we look at the top 25 there's a lot of teams out there who i don't think people are realizing that they're not going to be number one seeds or if they're number one seeds they're gonna have four or five losses i just don't think that think that their conference record is going to be good enough and that's not their fault because the SEC is just that difficult. Yeah. But we're looking at a lot of conference records. I mean, in the Big Ten, the leader is 12-1. and one. So their RPI right now is 10. Okay. Which, which, which matches their, their 15th ranking. Pretty close. Kind of. It, t- having an RPI of 10 is really high uh, for a team who hasn't even played their big games yet. That's all I'm saying. If they win their big games, they're they're projected right now a three seed. So if they win their big game. I said borderline one seed, which means they could fall yeah. out and be two seed. I wouldn't be surprised. But that has nothing to do with this game. Miles, I'm going to go ahead and say the line's going to be something like six and a half or seven Tennessee favorite. And if it is higher than six and a half, take Alabama. Okay. I think it's going to be a little higher. I think the. I, I was thinking. I'm thinking Tennessee's going to be favored by eight and a half. 
and I'm if it happens, I'm taking Alabama in that situation. Um, I mean, you just look at everything in the world as saying take Tennessee. Tennessee is five and one in their last six six games against the spread. They're five and zero straight up. But everything versus Alabama is saying take Alabama. I will admit that the against the spread stats are definitely for Alabama in this game, whether it's them playing Alabama, whether it's them playing Alabama on the road. Yep. The against the spread stats are there. The biggest difference that I saw was that Tennessee is just so much more balanced shooting the three. Yeah. They have four players on their roster with over 30 made three-point attempts. Alabama only has one. Now, I will admit, Petty with 61 made threes... That is huge. I mean, that is a lot of three-pointers. So- John Petty, the nappy head boy. And you know what's great about John Petty? John Petty, see, he is the – I, I highlight this here. Mm-hmm. For Alabama to win, they need a big shooting day from John Petty because John Petty can be the difference maker. And John Petty – I don't know if you know this. John Petty is averaging something like 52% shooting from three when he's playing in Tuscaloosa. He had Against Auburn, he had 10 three-pointers. Tim three, made three-pointers. I like that you brought this up because uh, we're on the same page here because, you know, everyone is saying that the difference in this game is going to be whether Colin Sexton or not has a big game. But you know what? No, it's not. They're going to need Petty to be burying threes because Tennessee not only uh, has those three-pointers, but they also have Grant Williams averaging 16 points per game. Yeah. So um, Tennessee is an, interest, an interesting team for anybody who doesn't follow uh, Tennessee too often because – they do not particularly have one guy who is their horse. No. They love to spread the ball around. Anybody and everyone can get their puckets. They they average 16.9 assists per game, which is a remarkable feat right there. And they spread their minutes around. Yes. It's it's pretty even and that's what I'm picking I picked Tennessee to win to win the SEC um a little bit earlier in the season. The only problem is Alabama does a great job of beating Tough teams when they're playing at home. I mean, they knocked off Texas A&M has faltered a little bit, but the Texas A&M is still a good team. They knocked off Texas A&M at home, Auburn at home, Oklahoma at home, Rhode Island, who might be a, a, a top four or five seed at the all home games that they won. They do have bad losses to UCF, but that was UCF with Taco Fall and at Ole Miss. And they're coming off a loss against Mississippi State. But not, that's a tough Not Mississippi saying it was a, yeah, it was a bad yeah. loss. Uh, I'm just saying that they've lost two out of three games. The The win that stood out to me was definitely the Oklahoma game. Uh, but anyway, I, I haven't said it yet, but I, I have Tennessee winning this game by nine or more. So I'm saying if the spread is set at eight, eight and a half or higher, which, which if it's six and a half, seven and a half, I'm going to go with Tennessee on the road here. And, uh, you know, I can't. 100% disagree with you because this is all up to the shooting of Alabama. If they're shooting well, they're going to win the game. Okay, so, right. So, you're saying that... Alabama... We, go ahead, my bad. We know that Tennessee is going to score because I talked about how, how balanced they are. They had yeah. five players scoring double figures against Ole Miss. Yeah. Also, they're 9-2 and two against the spread on the road this year. Just wanted to point that out as well. So, what you're saying is, though... Let's say that Petty goes out and gets twenty-five. Yeah, if if Petty scores, if Petty scores in the twenties, I think it's going to be a lot closer game than people think. Just because, I mean, Alabama typically holds their opponents to low shooting percentages, and you know, I think Alabama is either going to win the game or get blown out. All right. Well. I can't wait to see what happens. I know. And I mean, also, I can't wait to see if uh, your Crimson Tide make the tournament. I mean, oh, 
We can't be in the NIT forever, Miles. They've had some big wins this year, so definitely pulling for you guys. All right, let's go ahead and go to the big one. It wouldn't be the house and uh, if we were not talking about the biggest game of the weekend, and it is in the Big Ten Conference. I think part of the reason that this is such a big game, honestly, is because the Big Ten has been so down this year, and we really haven't had any big games, which is so funny. I mean, Wednesday night was probably our biggest game with Ohio State and Purdue. That was fun to watch. Bill Buckeyes. Uh, but this weekend is a top-five matchup. Number three, Purdue, at number four, Michigan State, 4 o'clock p.m., Michigan State is third in the Big Ten. Purdue is second. How are you feeling about this game? Okay, so I already know the line's not going to be more than four and a half. And Michigan State is freaking terrible at covering. But I'm going to go with Michigan winning this one handily, like six or seven point game. We are exactly on the same page here. I hands down have Michigan State winning this game by six at home. As you said, it's been tough for them to cover, but I think it's going to be a pretty favorable line for them. Yeah. Okay. So, on Wednesday night, Ohio State played Purdue. Beat them on the road. Here's what teams are doing with Purdue. Uh, Purdue is uh, second best in the country at three-point shooting, 42.7%. But they're 27 of their last 81 in three-pointers. So, they're down to 33.3%. Why is this happening? It's because teams are figuring out let Isaac Cost, the seven foot two big man, let him play one on one in the paint and start guarding at the perimeter. Yeah. Teams weren't doing this earlier in the season, especially in the Big Ten, because it's so easy to focus on the big man, right? It's so easy to focus on, on, on what he's doing. But at the end of the day, and this is what Ohio State did let him run wild, let him get his points. The man can't rebound. Just make it tough for Carson Edwards, who actually had a great game on Wednesday night. But uh, make it tough for him, Vincent Edwards, to get their shots. That starts to put some pressure on him. Yeah, I definitely agree. And when I was going and doing the analysis, I was like, what does Purdue do well? And they they pretty much do everything well. What do they do that's terrible? For having two seven-footers? I mean, Isaac Haas is 7-2. They suck at rebounding. Isaac Haas should be averaging eight or nine rebounds a game. He averages 5.3. I completely agree. I think it's a complete weakness on their team. They're 192nd in the country in offensive rebounding. Haas only had three rebounds against Ohio State on Wednesday night. And honestly, if this continues, now, uh, Michigan State does have a turnover problem. They rank 251st in the country in turnover percentage. But they're also sixth in the country in offensive rebounding. That's the mismatch for me. Um, So... The second part of my analysis of this game, right? Mm-hmm. Picture this. What does Michigan do really well? They do things that are glaringly better than other teams. They are number one in, I don't even know how you describe the stat. They are number one in field goal defense. So what I mean by that is when their opponents are shooting, they're missing because they're taking tough shots. What's better, what makes them better is they lead the Big Ten in rebound margin they out rebound their teams by 10.4 rebounds per game so you're telling me you have a team who's going to go out there and they're going to struggle they're going to struggle against them but then they're not going to get any offensive rebounds because that team sucks at getting boards i like it i like it a lot not to mention they can score too miles bridges is averaging 17 points a game nick ward's averaging 13 points per game and speaking of rebounds both of those players are averaging seven rebounds a game yeah don't leave out don't leave out jaron jackson who is 
I think he's going to light up Haas on the on the weak side defense help because my man's averaging 3.5 blocks per game. Okay. I I mean, I, I have Michigan State winnings by 6 and or 7. And not to mention, I think that uh, this game, home field advantage is huge. Oh, big Bre- time. Breslin Center is ready for this game. They're going to be hopping. Um, I do see a big game coming out of P.J. Thompson. Um, not... 0 for 5 yeah, on Wednesday night. Th- that's the second time he's been 0 for uh, this season. Uh, last one was 0 for 4. It happens, young guy. You, you're a shooter. Just keep shooting. Carson Edwards needs help. Yeah. He played a hell of a game uh, on Wednesday, and they're going to need a repeat performance just like that. Um, lately, Michigan State has been – well, honestly, both teams have kind of been playing it tight. Yeah. Michigan State has a three-point win against Iowa, a three-point win against Indiana. So, I mean – they haven't covered in five games. But I think it's going to be very favorable for, for them here. They're going to set this line at something like three and a half, I swear to you. It, it could be as close as two and a half. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was like the Arizona State game, Arizona State versus uh, UC, uh, USC. Uh, the line was at two and a half. Like they got all the way up to three. And let me just say that these two teams will be battling for second place in the Big Ten yep. because Ohio State is first. Just wanted to get that out there before we end the analysis. Don't get too excited because they only have a one-game lead. One game. That's all it needs. All it matters. It's all as we long need. as you're winning. That's all we need. Well, so like we did promise, Miles, we do have a big announcement. We will be doing our first ever live show in Orlando, Florida. It will be March 12th at Waitiki in Wall Street, downtown. We will be giving you guys more information about it. But in the meantime, make sure you guys are following us on Twitter. That's at Best the House. Um, following us on Facebook at Best the House, or you can type Welcome to the House. If you guys want to hear your your names on the show, or you want to ask us a question, email us at bestthehouse at gmail.com. or you can also do it on Facebook, Twitter, or on our website, which is www.bestthehouse. And yeah, tweet at us. Uh, tell us what you think about the Cavs' new lineup. Tell us what you think, I guess, about trick plays because we talked about that Yeah, do you guys so like long. trick plays? Because I like them, Miles hates them. We want to see what you guys think. Do whatever you guys have to do to get at us, but get at us. We look forward to hearing from you. Peace.